I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have friends or family who want to watch the show but can't watch it on television, Call them and tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com and they can get streaming video live. Just go on the TV shows section and the rest is pretty much self-explanatory. In the house tonight, I don't have a list, but I'm going to look real quick. We have Dan, Reed, Betty. We have Glenn. We have the Jeds. We have Mary Ellen. We have Eileen and we have Lane. So uh, some old Standby faithful audience members, great to have them here. Shout outs to Kyle, who I baptized in Sandy at Kim's Backyard Jacuzzi on Sunday. It was a great uh, event, and uh, uh, our love goes out to you, uh, my brother. Jesse, seeing you at the fitness center, great to meet you. Roy Murdoch, uh, Roy Murdoch a shout out and a prayer, my friend. And Ron and Marie, thank you and God bless. Last night in Logan, we had our uh, annual or our monthly um, traveling pastor in the pub, which we held at Maranatha Baptist Church. So it's really getting convoluted here. But anyway, Maranatha opened up their doors and we were able to gather in there and had a wonderful time. A lot of people came and we were able to talk about uh, uh, issues relative to biblical Christianity and Mormonism. Maybe 80 or 90 people were there. It had a great worship uh, team there who uh, we praised the Lord and had a discussion. And then we topped it all off with a wonderful baptism of Lucy from Logan. And we have a short video clip here of that. So let's watch that now. Watching Lucy come to the Lord and uh, follow Him and change, and so I'm just going to ask her a couple questions and then I'll baptize her. Uh, Lucy, do you uh, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And do you uh, want to publicly express this faith in Him through baptism? Yes, I do. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What a great opportunity, Lucy and Corey, your husband and your daughters and your sons and your grandkids. We love you all. It was such an honor to baptize you and um, thank you so much. Speaking of open baptisms, 
we're going to be holding our January 2008, can't believe January is already here, January 2008, past traveling pastor in the pub, the first Monday night somewhere here in Salt Lake City. It's going to be a great way if you live in this area or if you have friends who want to come forth and give their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. We'll be doing it right down here in downtown. So uh, we invite you to prepare for that. Just keep watching the show, look on the internet, and uh, we'll announce where it will be and the times and everything like that. But it will be on Monday night, January 7th, uh, if you want to have a specific date, and we look forward to, to doing that again. All right, I was a born-again Mormon. The book is available at Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Benchmark Books, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, Christian Gift and Bible, um, Christ Evangelical in Orem, Gift of Grace in Springville, Sam Weller's Bookstore in Salt Lake City, and Oasis Books in Logan. And you can always get the book from us online at www.bornagainmormon.com. If you can't afford a book, please tell us. We'll get one out to you for free. Sometimes LDS have a resistance to purchasing the book uh, for whatever reason. If you're LDS and don't want to do that, write us and tell us and we'll we'll send you the book for free. Uh, We just want people to get the message of Jesus uh, and the need for spiritual uh, rebirth. It's a great Christmas present if you have LDS family or friends who are searching and uh, not anti-Mormon in the least. Nothing that would offend them, in my opinion, so we highly recommend that. More Mormoniciousness. A Mormoniciousness moment tonight comes from a call we received last week here on the show. The LDS caller claimed that salvation in the LDS church meant entering the celestial kingdom. Being saved, he promised, meant entering the celestial kingdom. Then he qualified his comment by stating that it was not exaltation in the celestial kingdom, but only the entrance into it. I called his approach duplicitous and challenged his clarity and directness, and the reasons for my position are multifold. First, the Christian meaning of being saved should, we should understand is the same sense of the LDS meaning of being exalted. When the LDS say you're going to be exalted in the celestial kingdom, that is what Christians mean when they say you're saved. Okay, When Christians say you're saved, they don't mean some other thing. They mean you live with God. All right, Only living with God is in the highest degree of the celestial kingdom where you continue to move forward and procreate and become a God yourself. Now, more, Christians don't believe those things, of course, but when a Christian says saved, they mean the same thing as a Latter-day Saint does, the highest place you can go, okay? Um, this doesn't happen when you have a discussion with Latter-day Saints and for a number of reasons, but even the LDS word games are not consistent, and in fact, they're quite murky, and let me explain why. On one hand, our caller last week was correct when he said that all Latter-day Saints needed to enter the celestial kingdom was faith, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost. But listen to the attitude Joseph Fielding Smith has towards though those who enter into this lowest level of the celestial kingdom. All right, this is what he said. Listen closely. I have been asked quite a number of times by members of the church if baptism would permit a person to enter the celestial kingdom. Each time I have been astonished that any member of the church would ask that question after all that has been written and the words of the Savior himself. When he sent his disciples out after the resurrection, he said those who repent and believe and are baptized should be saved. Then he goes on to say, 
Who among us wants to be satisfied by merely entering in the celestial kingdom? The Lord did not say that baptism would exalt us. Are we going to be satisfied with merely an entrance? Evidently, there are many members of the church who are going to be so satisfied because they will not prepare themselves or do not prepare to receive the exaltation. What will happen to those who are baptized, who are satisfied thus far? They will enter into the kingdom to be servants, to wait upon those who are worthy of a far more and exceeding weight of glory. The Lord says they will be angels, ministering angels, but they will not be gods. And that will be their destiny. For he says it will endure worlds without end. So we cannot be merely satisfied with baptism. The Lord expects us to be worthy to go on and receive the fullness of his kingdom, to be clothed with power of perfection and become like him. That can only be done by observing the ordinances and receiving the covenants in the house of the Lord, each of us individually and for our dead. We must perform these like services for them. So on, in the one, on the one hand, we have this guy calling and saying, we believe that all you need to do is be baptized and have faith in Jesus and you're going to enter the celestial kingdom. But the prophet of the church, Joseph Fielding Smith, said, you'll enter that celestial kingdom if you're baptized as a Mormon. You have to understand that. It has to be a Mormon baptism. But you will be a servant to those people who have gone beyond you in worthiness and in becoming a god. Okay, so um, that's very difficult. But in and of itself, there's more. Article of Faith, I believe, is number three, might be four, says, We believe that all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. That's how you're saved. That's how we Mormons believe all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So that contradicts. Right there, we have a problem with all these meanings. And then the Book of Mormon says, we believe that you are saved by grace after all that you can do. So then you have another aspect of the salvation experience. And all this does, it allows the leaders to mormoniciously change their views and say they believe this at one time, they believe that at another, and it's never clear, it's never simple, it's never easy. His yoke is never easy, his burden is never light. Jesus said, you, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And it's so much different than what these things. So this is the Mormonicious moment of tonight, and let's go on. A couple other things. First, we're going to try and follow up on Mitt Romney's coming presentation of faith that he's coming out with this Thursday morning. I understand just recently, within the past few hours, he has come out and said, I am not going to talk about Mormon doctrine, understand. I'm just going to talk about how being a Latter-day Saint will affect me, affect you and me as the president. Well, he's not going to talk about Mormon doctrine because he would be slain by anybody with a mind. And so, of course, he's going to ignore that. Now, it's the Mormon doctrine that dictates his, 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 his approach to life, his views of everything. So remember that when you listen to him, and I would strongly sit there and just take notes and ask your questions, and next week we'll have a show, and we'll, we'll, we'll go through and we'll talk about it and maybe pick that apart. If we have time, we're, we're coming down to the end of the year, and we got to get to Carthage Jail and uh, talk about how Joseph Smith had the gun battle and was killed. Also, last night speaking to Logan, I made a, a statement. I'm going to make it here. I got a little bit of uh, heat last night for it, but, you know, we got to have some heat. Now listen. There is no way 
that the LDS church is going to fall to its doctrinal knees and change. Unless the people of this state, the Christians of this state, and the Christian churches of this state are prepared to receive them. There's millions of people here who are LDS, and God's going to just have it all crumble and have them have nothing. So as Christians, we have a responsibility to be prepared and to prepare ourselves and our churches. So we have problems with infighting and sheep stealing and all these things that people worry about. I guess that's understandable. But the thing that we have to remember is... Um, the Word of God. We have to remember that we have to learn the Word of God. That means that we're not learning um, stories and we're not learning the best-selling books and we're not seeing video presentations and, and we're not seeing all this uh, PowerPoint extravaganza stuff to entertain us at church. I would suggest that you take responsibility for learning the Word of God and get tutored and taught by him and his spirit as you read it, and that will prepare you. Now, I would also suggest if your pastor or reverend or preacher is not teaching the word of God and you're not learning the word of God, that you don't go to that church, that you go to another church that teaches the word of God, and you have them dry up and blow away or fill their pews with people who want to be entertained. The state has to, if we're going to have a revolutionary fire of Jesus coming in and changing the hearts of the Latter-day Saints, they have to look at people who know the word and they're going to be looking to us. They're going to be looking to you. Don't pay tithes to a church where the pastor gets up to entertain you. Don't go to those churches. Find a pastor in your area and they are here. There are good pastors who teach the word verse by verse and go through and teach it. And just ask them, go up and say, listen, I want to learn what the word says. This is a responsibility. Now, I throw down on the LDS church all the time. I'm throwing down on the, on the Christian church in Utah. We've got to hear the word. So um, all these things, I'm not going to go into that. I'll probably get in trouble if I say that. So just anyway, try to get your pastors to teach the word of God uh, as you go on. Finally, one last thing. This Thursday night, day after tomorrow, we're having an open house here at KTMW TV 21st Annual Christmas Open House. Everybody who has a show will be here to meet you, take pictures, hand out trinkets. Our, our station manager's wife has just broken her neck. She's inhaled hot chocolate, for goodness sake, preparing for this, and cookies and everything. So we're, we're ready for you. Come on down, go online, and just Google 314 South Redwood Road, MapQuest. Find out directions. Very easy to get here once you look at it. And we'll see you Thursday night from 7 to 9, open house here. Let's look at a spot that reminds you of that right now. Hi, I'm Andy Bird. Trinity Jordan. Dixie Johnson. Sean McCraney. Ernest Coker. Vida Asiana. And I'm Greg Johnson. And we want to invite you to KTMW Channel 20 Christmas Open House. We'll all be right here on our sets. Bearing gifts. Eating cookies. And waiting to meet you. So please join us Thursday, December 6th from 7 to 9 p.m. Right here at our studios. All are welcome. Everyone. Yes, everyone. Everyone except, well, maybe, um, we hope to have all of you here. Merry, Merry Christmas! A fine-looking group, I tell you. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you for this airtime. We thank you for the opportunity to talk about issues. And hopefully that this show, Lord, will reach into people's hearts and help them see the difference between a man-made religion and practice and your uh, truth, Lord. So we pray for your spirit with our viewers and uh, with everybody here in the station. In Jesus' name, amen. 
With the increased growth and power of Nauvoo, Joseph Smith's ambitions for power became more and more vocal. He began to see Nauvoo as the capital of international religion, and as so stated in the Doctrine and Covenants 139, he reminded members that at their October conference that Zion, or Nauvoo, was to, quote, become the praise, the joy, and the glory of the whole earth. That this city was to become the praise, the joy, the glory of the whole earth. Funny, the Bible tends to apply these appellations and pr of praise and joy and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph applied them to a city. Joseph saw Nauvoo as the beginning of a world movement of world infiltration and world domination. This is important. This attitude remains with the LDS church leaders today. If you want to see smug, you wait until Mitt Romney, a Mormon, takes office. You are going to see smug and arrogance run amok. I'm not making a political statement. I don't know if he would be the best president or not. I frankly don't care. But as far as his religion goes, you are going to see smug run amok. Joseph dictated a revealing proclamation to, quote, all the kings of the world in the spring of 1841, which said in part that the powers of the earth were to, quote, give heed to the light and glory of Zion, that the powers of the earth were to give heed to the light and glory of Zion, that, quote, the set time has come to favor her, that, quote, Nauvoo's temple would undoubtedly attract the attention of the great men of the earth. Joseph proclaimed, quote, Awake, O kings of the earth, come ye, O come ye with your gold and your silver to help my people. Speaking for the Lord, he said this. The arrogance, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life had set in Joseph's mind. Once obtaining the right to be Nauvoo's lieutenant general, Joseph began to prefer the title of general over all titles, including prophet or president of the church. Speaking to the people of Nauvoo on one occasion, Joseph said, now listen to this, comes from Fawn Brody's book. This is a quote. Listen to the attitude of arrogance as I read this. Joseph said, speaking to the people of Nauvoo, quote, I hardly know how to express my feelings. I feel as strong as a giant. Relative to our city charter, courts, rights of habeas corpus, etc., I wish you to know and publish that we have all power. And if any man from this time forth says anything to the contrary, cast it into his teeth. All the power that there all the power there was in Illinois, she gave to Nauvoo, and any man that says contrary is a fool. This city has all the power that the state courts have. I wish the lawyers who says we have no powers in Nauvoo may be choked to death with his own words. Don't employ lawyers or pay them money for their knowledge, for I have learned that they don't know anything. I know more than they all. Continuing on, it's, he said, quote, the time has come when forbearance is no longer a virtue. And if you and I are taken again unlawfully, you are at liberty to give loose to blood and thunder. Before I will bear this unhallowed persecution any longer, before I will be dragged away again am among my enemies for trial, I will spill the last drop of blood in my veins and will see all my enemies in hell. End quote. This is the result of Joseph Smith unrestrained. 
it went to a level of power and arrogance beyond belief. Now this stuff is motivational, but the question you have to ask is where is it coming from and what is the purpose of the motivation? Certainly the purpose is not motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can't be. Listen, in 1 John 2, 5, this is what the word says. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him, that he said he abideth in him ought to also walk, even as he, meaning Jesus, walked. That if he's in you, you walk even as Jesus walked. Does that quote sound like somebody who's walking as Jesus walked? The person who restored the gospel of Jesus Christ back to, does that sound like it? How about Philippians 3.3? For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Galatians 4.9, but now after ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? These final years of Joseph unrestrained are the years where Mormonism today has taken the most direct direction. These final years of Nauvoo has set the cast and the tone and the attitude and the arrogance of Mormonism today. Let me read this again from Brody. Uh, it's, uh, uh, listen closely to what she says. Joseph was no hair shirt prophet. He believed in the good life with moderate self-indulgence in food and drink, occasional sport and good entertainment. And that he succeeded in enjoying himself to the hilt not at all from the semi-deification with which his own people enshrouded him. Any protest of impropriety dissolved before his personal charm. Man is that he might have joy had been one of his first significant pronouncements in the Book of Mormon, and from that belief he has never deviated. He was gregarious, expansive, and genuinely fond of people, and it is no accident that his theology in the end discarded all traces of Calvinism and became an ingenious blend of supernaturalism and materialism, which promised in heaven a continuation of all the earthly pleasures, work, wealth, sex, and power. Since Joseph was himself the personification of the church, its hero and ideal, Whatever he did become, whatever he did became a pattern for intimation. Because he took Christian theology and ethics and mixed them with business, politics, and empire building, his people came to do the same. The result was that Mormonism became not only a belief, but also a way of life. What he became in Nauvoo is what Mormonism is today. We have spoken of a lot of things Joseph Smith introduced in the last four years in Unrestrained Nauvoo, but I would suggest that the most overriding characteristic Joseph passed on to the church and its membership today, which truly culminated in these last four years of his life, was that of sheer, unadulterated arrogance. When a supposed prophet of God can make a statement like this, listen, come on, you false Come on, ye persecutors, ye false swear swearers. All hell boil over. You burning mountains, roll down your lava, for I will come out on top at last. I have more to boast of than ever any man had. I am the only man that has been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. 
A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. When they can get rid of me, the devil will go also. Prophet Joseph Smith, Jr., History of the Church, Volume 6, page 408-409. Does that sound Christian? They say they represent Christianity, that he, he was a great prophet of God. Does that sound like it? And he ends all of these quotes as he gets in these Nauvoo years with some reference to hell. And hell, I'll go in and take over. And, and the devil will go when I go. And all these references in the end. His power and his arrogance was insane. And people follow him today. Such a people cannot help but inherit the same spirit of arrogance. How do I justify saying this? Allow some reasons. First, I've given you direct quotes from the founder of the church, Joseph Smith, that were arrogant. How about some arrogant quotes from Brigham Young? All right. Brigham Young said in Journal of Discourses, volume 8, page 178-179, quote, Brother Cannon remarked that people wonder how many wives and children I had. He may inform them that I shall have wives and children by the millions. And glory and riches and power and dominion and kingdom after kingdom, and reign triumphantly, end quote. Sound like the humble attitude of a follower of Christ who recognizes him or herself as a sinner? Does it sound like it? Brigham Young said journal courses again, I have never preached a sermon and sent it out to the children of men that, it, that they may not call it scripture. Brigham Young, a, mayor, a lady named Mary Eddie Smith, said, Bro Brother Brigham, said I, with the firmness of resistance I had never before felt in his presence, are you my savior? Most assuredly I am, said he. You cannot enter the celestial kingdom except by my counsel. Do you doubt it? Does this sound, does this sound like Jesus? Does this sound like Christianity? I'm going to go to this whiteboard right now, and I want to explain to you where this arrogance comes from. And this is why we attack Mormon doctrine. Now, I know Latter-day Saints who are humble people. I know many of them who are more humble than I would ever hope to be. I'm not saying every Mormon is arrogant, but the spirit of arrogance and pride passes down, and let me show you why. All right? I'm going to show you why in chronological doctrinal order. First of all, their view of matter. Matter has always existed, and matter could not be created even by God in Mormon doctrine. So matter, who we are, physically and in our spirit, Joseph Smith taught that our spirit, our souls are made of matter. We have always existed, and God himself could not create us. He could form us, but he could not create us because God cannot create matter. So we are co-eternal, co-existing eternally with God. That starts us off thinking arrogantly. All right, this is Mormon doctrine. I hope Mitt Romney covers this stuff on the presidential campaign. All right, and then we go to God. God was once a man. They say that's not true. Every single faithful Latter-day Saint believes it. They believe he progressed. He was once a man who had a father who went on and he obtained wives. And, this, and God progressed to the point where he became God. All right? And God is, is under the rule of something called eternal laws and principles. 
God has to obey these laws and principles. He's forced to. He doesn't originate them. They have always existed. So it demeans God and it brings him down to a guy who was once just like we are. And then we go to Jesus, a created being. Jesus is a created being just like us, a spirit being before this world was just like you and I. And we were all spirit brothers and sisters along with Lucifer, a spirit brother with us. And there was a grand council and Lucifer said, I don't like this. And he became Satan and he fell and all, the third was cast out. And Jesus was the shining one said, I want to go down there and save, save this world from sin. And so God the Father who had progressed from a man said, okay, do it. And so our elder brother came down and he did it. But it lowers Jesus down to somebody just like us again. So we have no reverence. We have no awe for a created Savior who says he was God, not, not the LDS. All right, and then we come to Adam and Eve. They jumped out here. Adam and Eve did a good thing by disobeying God. They looked at the whole circumstance and said, God gave us a commandment, but I know better. I know what needs to happen here in order for us to progress so that we can become a God someday too. So they disobeyed in the garden and the LDS claimed that that was a fall upward, that that was a great thing because it allowed their eyes to open to see good and evil and now the whole world can be filled with people and the whole plan of salvation become an effect because they were disobedient to a commandment God gave them and God, wink, wink, wanted them to disobey him. Okay, and, and it's taking power into your hand and then we come to salvation. You know, they say we're saved by, uh, by uh, grace after all that we can do. So a, an LDS person has to take their salvation into their own hands. They are responsible for preparing themselves to become a God, to be exalted. And so they spend all kinds of time. And guess what? There's a cream that rises to the top in that church. And they have the genetic makeup and they have all the right serotonin levels and they were raised in the right environments and so they can walk around very peacefully and, and beautifully and they get the leadership positions and they think they're going to be exalted. And so this arrogance starts to breed. And you get quotes like Brigham Young and Joseph Smith backing it up, and they believe this stuff. And then we come to the ultimate. Man, it worships man. It's a church for man. It's to take man from being down here and to have him go step by step until man becomes a god. This is what Mitt Romney should be teaching. Because the final result is pure, unadulterated arrogance. All of it is built on pride. And uh, that is the antithesis of what the gospel of Jesus Christ taught us, doesn't it? You know, let's look up one scripture, 1 Corinthians 1.27. Grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 1.27.28. Listen to this. We'll end with this. We'll go to the phones. 801-973-TV20. Uh, 801-973-8820. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse... 27 and 28. Listen to this, please. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things, the base things of the world and things which are despised and God chosen yea the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are why I added why verse 29 that no flesh no flesh should glory 
in his presence. It's uh, there are verses that are absolutely in opposition to the attitude of arrogance and pride that Joseph brought to um, Nauvoo. Uh, ran for president we talked about, and now uh, we're going next week, after we talk about Mitt Romney, to Carthage, and we're going to tell you all the facts about Carthage, and then we're going to talk about how Joseph was shot and killed. And then we're going to move into 2008, and we're going to continue on studying church history from Nauvoo after Joseph's been killed through Brigham Young up to the current day. And the first Tuesday of every month of 2008, we're going to spend covering a famous church talk. And we're going to do 10 famous church talks in chronological order with the, uh, a very terrible talk down to the most unbelievable talk ever given. And we'll give that one in the first Tuesday of December of 2008. So that's our plan as we continue on into 2008 with Heart of the Matter. We'll also take a week each uh, general conference and cover that. And so that will kind of be the format of the shows coming up. We are going to have a program on Christmas, by the way. So if your family is there and you've gathered together and opened up the presents and eaten the duck and everything else, you might turn it on from 8 to 9 and we'll have a special Christmas show. Okay, we are going to... Gary on line one from Boise. Gary, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, this is Gary in Boise, Idaho. I have a comment. Yes, Gary. Yeah, the questions or the comment that I have, which is pretty interesting, is that I'll be really honest with you. Um, I've been out of prison for nine years now. Okay. Um, I have a son, um, a beautiful son that's eight, and uh, the courts awarded me back my son. Um, unfortunately, my wife left me. But being a single parent, I decided that it's real important for me to go back to church. Okay. Uh, being raised on LDS on one side of the family and another denomination on the other, I decided, well, let's try out the LDS faith. And what happened is that they said because I was a felon, I could take all their lessons, but I could not be baptized or become in their priesthood. <laughs> Gosh. I know. you got to be kidding. Uh, that's all right. But, you know, what, what's really wonderful is that, according to God's Word, it says, it says that it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. Yes. And, and you're right. The only time that Christ was upset was with religious people. And to me, uh, going through the prison systems and now being uh, drug-free and accepting Christ as my personal Savior, a religious man, to me, is a man that wears a new coat that hides his self-righteous heart. Wow. But a man that is transformed from God is a man that gives his new coat away, that can show all his failures, and his warmth comes from the love of Christ Jesus. Wow, what a beautiful message, man. That's really beautiful, Gary. And we, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Ruth Ann or Ruthen on uh, line three. Ruth Ann. Yes. Ruthen. This is Sean. You're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, I'm on the air right now? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I... Uh... Just wanted to know, Sean, what you think about the book of James. 
I've been listening to you for a little while now, and I'm just wondering what you think about the book of James. I love it. Well, it talks about works in that book. I'm not against works, Ruthen. I, I think works are naturally follow anybody who, uh, who loves Jesus Christ and who has been born again by him. But you, let me give you an interesting insight for whatever it's worth. Okay. If you look at the way the Bible was put together, and uh, after Acts, the first real book of the, uh, the New Testament, because the Gospels were really a continuation of the old with Jesus coming and talking to the Jews, and then Acts, the Holy Spirit came. But if you look at Acts, which was historical, you go to Romans, and you go to Galatians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, and Colossians, all of those are a primary focus on what? Grace. And then once you come to understand grace, having read through those books, by the time you start getting back toward James and, and John, First and Second and Third John and Revelation, those, yes, there is more of a focus on works, but that's the order that you first understand that because God loved you and by his goodness you're saved, you then want to do the works. And I have no problem with works. I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm living my life based on, on works too. I don't see how it can be just grace. I don't understand that because you can then be saved by grace, but then you go out and do bad works. But you wouldn't if you knew you were saved by grace. That's the thing that the LDS miss, is that when you realize that there is nothing, Ruthen, that you can do besides what accepting what Jesus did on that cross, you can't climb up on that cross and add anything to it. He said, it's finished. When you understand he came and he did that for you, your heart melts and breaks and says, I want you to be my Lord and Master. And then what, so then why do you have to be baptized? Why did you baptize Lucy? I didn't do it mandatorily. I did it because she wanted to do, and the Bible teaches us to have a, have a public profession of your faith. And there's something beautiful, and I'll even say mystical, mystically powerful in ba getting baptized because of your faith of, in Jesus. But the thief on the cross was not baptized, and he went to paradise. And people die all the time who accept Jesus with a gun in their, in, at their head, and they accept him, and they die without it. And there is no need for a vicarious work to cover that ordinance. Mm -hmm. We are saved by grace. Well, and, yeah, you are saved by grace, but then you're baptized, and sure, that's a work. And well, nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't save you. Nothing wrong with baptism. Nothing wrong with working your fingers to the bone for the Lord once you do it out of a love for what he's done for you and in a great appreciation, but not as a way for God to say, well, I'm more pleased with you now because today you did a little bit of extra work for me. And, you know, this past week, you, you know, you hit the temple a couple times instead of once. And that is, that is called bondage. And that's what Jesus came and he broke for us. And so what your stand is that the LDS are just a bunch of, um, oh, they're just prideful and bad because, and, but, I mean, look at all the works they're doing. And it says in the Bible, by their works you shall know them. Sure. But what are those works? You've got to read that in context. And if you look at there, right before Jesus says that, uh, he says there are going to be people who cast out devils in my name, who heal the sick, and do many wonderful works, he says. And he says, I, don't, I won't know who they are. And so what he talks about when he says, by your fruits, there's more scriptures in Ephesians that talk about this fruit. And what it is, it's a fruit of love. 
and it's a fruit of meekness and, and the attributes Jesus brought. It are not the works that you can see manifestly being done. Those are important, but every one of those works, Ruthen, are going to be placed on an altar and they're going to be tried by fire. And the ones that you did because you wanted to to please God in a way to, to ensure your salvation or so that men could see you or that you could get your home teaching percentages done, they're going to burn like wood, hay, and stubble. I think you are putting down the LDS a little bit too much. And I also think that I look at Joseph Smith and I think he did marvelous works. Then you don't know him. What? You, you don't know him then. because You, you, you do? I do. Him? I do know him. I've spent, I've spent 17 years preparing to do this thing that I'm doing, and I know what he's about. I know the good and the bad, and I'm, I'm very willing to give credit to where the, of the good things he actually did. But if you say that this man, if you paint a picture of him that's sugar-coated, you are sorely mistaken. Sorely. Well, I, keep searching, though, Ruth, and keep, keep watching and, and check. I mean, I give you references. Look those things up. Well, I, I've been studying the... Um New Testament just this last summer quite intensely and I really feel like I'm getting a handle on it but I mean they talk about works all the time and of course I work in James yeah. James in, James in, really goes into work James does and like I said there's nothing wrong with works there isn't right part of the whole process okay and, uh, uh, but uh, they just don't save you listen Ruth and let me ask you this question before we go are, are you born again and what happens to you when you die well, I have been born again. I was baptized. That, that's your... That's your, the rebirth. When you, that's the rebirth. When you were eight, you were baptized, or you were a convert? When I was eight. So at eight, and so then that's all taken care of, so now it's just work, work, work. Is that right? Well, no, there's other things to do, too. There's study and grow and learn, and, and, by, and as you work, then you get more, you grow more and add to your, you know, your stature and your growth and intelligence and, and so on. So there, there's a lot more than just work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Ruth, and I, you're, this is a great call. I, I, I really do like it because really you're, you're kind and you're really laying out what LDS believe. And you're not being duplicitous. You're just laying out what the general populace think. And I want you to know. I'm trying to be humble. <laughs> you're doing a good job of it. But I want you to know that in a Christian listening to this are just pulling their hair out for you and saying, you don't know Jesus. You don't know what he's done no, for you. And I feel like I do. I know you feel like you do. But the way you're talking says to me, you don't understand what he's done for you. And that's pretty... I know it's bold to say that, but I've been LDS. That's what you're putting Joseph Smith down for saying. Well... I don't think I'm doing that, but it's a great call. Will you go to utlm.org and check out what they have to say? Okay, I will. Okay, call back. Let's keep in touch. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye, Sean. Bye-bye. We're going to John. That was a great call. We're going to John and Layton. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hey, John, you got to turn that TV off. Just did. Excellent. Hello, Sean. Hello, John. Yes. How are you? Good. Hey, a uh, couple of things. What I need you to do is research the Order of the Melchizedek. The Order of the Melchizedek. And that's where you will find where Joseph Smith found the Mother God and the Father God, etc. 
Wow. And it is ancient. It goes clear back into before the Celtic times. And the first records of it being practiced in the United States, believe it or not, was by a Baptist congregation in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1738. Excellent information. We'll follow up on that. All right. The other thing, blacks and the priesthood. Yes. Okay. The Brazilian temple is the finest cover story that I've ever heard. Oh, really? You think it's something else? I know it's something else. What is it? In Washington State or Oregon in the earlier mid-70s, Two LDS missionaries baptized a black man, and I believe it was in a swimming pool. They ordained him into the priesthood. Then after they ordained him into the priesthood, the church excommunicated all three of them, and a lawsuit was brought under the EEO Act, and part of the resolution to the lawsuit was that the blacks could hold the priesthood. And you well, might want if, to research that. Uh, well, you know what? I've, I've really tried to research this topic when we covered it. Do you have any empirical data we can look at to prove this? Not anymore. Well, then... What you would have to do is probably go to Washington and Oregon and go to... It's a great story. ...records and access them that way to find the exact case. Okay, man. Hey, John, great. If you happen to find anything on it, let me know. And if anybody else in the viewing audience knows anything about this, let us know. Oh, I remember it was in the newspapers here and everything. Wow. It was a big story here. Excellent. Hey, thanks so much, John. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Uh, well, I know there was more pressure, too. I think I mentioned, like, Stanford University would not play BYU because of their policies with blacks and the priesthood. That heat was there, and there's a number of other things, but... I've always been under the assumption that it was the Brazilian temple. But, you know, you never know. There's, there's a lot of power in that church, and they're able to cover things up. Maybe John had something to say. Let's go to Travis on line four. Travis, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, what up? What up, brother? How you doing? Good, you? Hey, you're looking really vibrant today. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, the question was, uh, have those musty clam guys laid off you a little bit? Well, I got rid of something. Maybe that did it. <laughs> well, you're a musty clam, buddy. I love you. <laughs> Thanks. Is that it, Travis? Yes. Travis sounded nicer tonight. So uh, I didn't know that was his first name. Uh, do we have, we have other calls, but listen, I want to read a, a letter I got. Uh, we'll go to Kelly on line three in just a second. Sean, I will try to stop laughing long enough to write this letter. I just watched a video clip of your recent baptism circus at the local no-tell motel. Um, Sean, I didn't think you could do anything dumber than you already do, especially that poor excuse of a book you wrote and your stupid phony TV show. Hey, boy, please don't, please tell me that baptism wasn't real. I blanked my pants laughing every time I watch it. I have sent it to several of my friends who love to laugh at buffoonery. And then he made some really horrible comments. And then he says, um, your wife and girls should really be proud of you, you mindless nincompoop. You really deserve the type of people that you attract. I am a member of the LDS Church and a Christian. But what I am most is glad that you and your family got booted out of the only true church of Jesus Christ and that your life is such a miserable failure. Uh, and then he continues on and on and on. And uh, I just want to let you know how much those things brighten up my day. <laughs> and uh, listen, man, 
come to know the Lord and all that venom will die in you and you'll be able to have a life, uh, a lot more time in your life where you don't have to sit down and write letters like that. All right, let's go to Kelly on line three from Salt Lake City. Kelly, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hi, uh, Travis. How you doing? Hey, Travis. Good. This, this isn't Travis. What's your name again? My name's Sean. Sean. Uh, I, I am responding to Ruth Ann. Okay. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, Ruth Ann, uh, Sean was right on with you. Uh, I, I, I think you need to open the Bible and look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. And uh, it tells you that there is going to be an angel from heaven that comes down and preaches another gospel. Uh, and that, uh, that gospel is false. And it tells us twice. It also uh, reads 2 Corinthians. And it tells us how Satan himself can transform himself into a minister of light. And it is no great miracle that his ministers can do the same and that their end will be according to their works. Uh, Mormons believe that the, the more work that you do, uh, that that is your gateway to heaven. Uh, it's what's based in your heart according to those works. Yeah. Mormons also believe that, you know, by giving and uh, doing this thing, you also n notice they never do it anonymously, as it tells us in the Bible. They make sure, they make a point of when there's an earthquake or they give aid, uh, they make it known. Yeah. Uh, they also, when they have services in church, uh, as a Christian, I believe that you dare to praise God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, not to praise Joseph Smith, the Mormon Church, or right. Brigham Young, right. uh, or Gordon B. Hinckley. We don't celebrate birthdays of Gordon B. Hinckley in the Christian Church. <laughs> so, uh, Ruth, I, I do want to respond, and I... I as Sean said, I was pulling my hair out. Oh, good. I'm glad we got someone who uh, fit that. It was excellent. Uh, uh, it, it is Travis? No, my name's Kelly. Okay, Kelly. It was great insights, Kelly. We really appreciate that testimony, man. Uh, thank you. Thank and, you. Uh, God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. You know, that makes me think of something I want to tell you. I think it's Ruthen, but uh, Ruthen, this is something to consider. There are going to be two ways to approach God for people who want to approach him. There, one way is you're going to go before him and your hands are going to be full of your efforts. And you're going to say, this is what I can bring you, God. This is what I did. You know, I did this good thing and this good thing and this good thing. And the scriptures say that that stuff is filthy rags. That's what it calls it, our good works. And it says, no one is righteous, no, not one. It says that we're all sinners. Every man has sinned. And so you can approach him with your righteousness and you can try to show God your righteousness. And then he's going to give you the nod and assign you a kingdom in the Mormon folklore, or you're going to go before him and you're going to say, I have nothing to stand on except your son. And God is going to see you either covered in the blood of his son, which was shed for your sins, or he's going to see you holding your own works. And I will stand tooth and nail from now to eternity, covered in the blood and relying on that without ever doing lifting another finger. I'll rely on that blood over anything that I can offer. Okay? Consider that. We are going to Reggie on line one. Reggie in Salt Lake City, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you, Reggie? I'm all right, man. Hey, this is the first time I tuned into your show. I got to tell you, you and me are on the same page, buddy. Oh, awesome. I've been, I've been trying to talk to the people I work with around here and kind of spread the news a little bit, trying to be a little bit vigilant about it. How's that going? It's going good, man. I, I mean... The thing is, I won't stop until I drink the blood of all the Mormon babies out there, you know? What? 
What? Uh, is it a full moon tonight? Someone told me full moons is a night of crazy callers. Uh, all right, that was beautiful. All right, we're going to... John. Sorry, I get caught up in those. It's John and Payson on line two. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. How you doing, man? You're on the air. Okay. You got to turn off your uh, TV, John. I did. I did. Okay. You're on the air. Hey, uh, yeah, this is John. I, uh, I'm, uh, what I'm calling you about is uh, a situation that uh, a person works toward eternal exaltation when uh, when, a, when a person works toward exaltation in the LDS church um, and they work their fannies off I guess suppose supposedly to uh, find out to, only to, to find out that what they've worked for is not going to work they, they, they may be excommunicated and that's my position and I went through the whole repentance process and wanted, and, and it took years and years. I wanted to be there for my uh, nephews uh, to be able to go on a mission and stuff. Uh -huh. And at the end, they told me, that's it, you're, you're done. And uh, I just, uh, I, I'd like more information on your program. And I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just beyond myself. John, for rambling. John, stay on the line, and an operator is going to get your address, and we'll send you out a book and uh, some information about uh, everything that's going on with the ministry, and I'd love to talk to you again. Okay, thank you. Stay on the, stay on the line, please. All right, someone please pick up line two. We're John going to Matt, line three. Matt, you're on Heart of the Matter from Centerville. Hey. Hey, Matt, got to turn your TV down. Uh, okay. Hey, I, I just want to give a shout out to Reggie. Uh, that that dude, he he he's totally right. Uh, that was well worth the wait. You guys are wasting time. You know there are people who uh, who try to get through. We get dozens and dozens and dozens of calls after from people trying to get through, and they can't because of calls like yours. So come on, man. All right, let's go to Kevin in West Jordan. Kevin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Kevin? Yes. You're on the air, man. Yeah, hey, Sean. Um, I was uh, listening to that LDS woman talking about the, the works and getting hung up on James. Well, a while back, my wife and I were reading in uh, the Gospel of John, and uh, a whole bunch of people would come to him because he had recently just fed 5,000, whatever, and he says, you just come in here just to get some, get some food. That's why you're coming to see me. And he says... Don't work for things that are um, uh, that are going to spoil that, but work for food that endures, work for eternal life. Yeah. So they asked him a question. They said, uh, in John uh, chapter 6, verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Yeah. In other words, what are these good works we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Well, Jesus answered and says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In yeah. other words, the works, the ultimate work that we do is simply believing in Jesus. Once we believe in Jesus and realize what he's done for us, it's done. Isn't that awesome? 
yeah. Now, in Ephesians, when in chapter 2, it says, um, you are saved by grace, not of works. Um, for it is, in uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8, says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself, it is the gift of God. So even the faith we have is from God. We yeah. can't even say, oh, uh, the faith, is, it was my faith. No, that faith was a gift of God. And then it continues on, not by works, not by, not by works. In other words, it's not by your works, uh, so that no one can boast. And then it says, we are created in Jesus to do good works. The works that we do is a uh, result of our having become saved. We can never uh, get to salvation by works. Try to get to salvation by works is putting the cart before the horse. Excellent. It's excellent, and thank you so much for sharing that. It was beautifully presented, and you really enlightened us. Really appreciate it, man. Okay, thank Thanks. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Listen, uh, i got to make a couple things, and I just want to remind you tomorrow, uh, Thursday night, 7 to 9, we're having an open house here at the KTNW TV 20 on Redwood Road. Please join us, 314 South Redwood Road. And listen, for those of uh, men and women who qualify to hear this, just listen to it. It's a, we do this once or twice a year. But it's the end of the year, and many people look for places to support ministries uh, around this time of the year. And uh, we seek your support in terms of prayers, volunteerism, uh, people who send us articles that keep us informed, love that through the email and mail, and monetary contributions. But only if you are qualified and so inclined by God. Remember that caveat. To qualify to support Aletheia Ministries uh, financially, we would ask that you first and foremost contribute to your local church, congregation, and believe that God has moved you to contribute to Aletheia Ministries. If you're inclined to donate to Aletheia Ministries, you can do so by writing Aletheia Ministries, 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, 84104, or you can contribute by going to www.bornagainmormon.com and look under Support the Ministry. All donations are tax-deductible under a 501c3 code of the IRS. And all right, we got that out of the way for the year. Pastor in the pub tonight on uh, at Denny's at 5th South and 250 West. I think I got that right. And uh, there we just get together casually. Come LDS, non-believers, whatever you are, you're welcome. Come and we just talk, we meet each other, we make friends, and a regular group comes, and it's, it's a good time. So next week, we're going to hit Carthage Jail after we talk about the Mitt Romney presentation and... Uh, and we'll go from there. Until that time, I pray you'll stay in the Word, you'll get your pastors to teach the Word, and uh, you'll come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has given us. God bless you.